Welcome to the Telford Minster podcast. Thank you for joining us and listening along. Our vision is to make Jesus known in Telford, and we hope that your attention is grabbed by Jesus today and what he is doing in your life. This autumn, we're looking at the series Pray, Prayers of the People, looking through the Bible at some of the most powerful prayers and scriptures, their lasting effects on God's people and how God is responding to and fulfilling those prayers and promises in our lives today. We hope this series is encouraging for you, your prayer life and your growing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the podcast. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Kevin is going to be speaking to us today. So let's just pray for Kevin where you are if you want to stretch out a hand and just pray for God's, God to speak through him. So we thank you for Kevin and the words that you prepared and you put on his heart to share with us. May we have open hearts to receive your word, to hear from you. Would you be speaking to us? Would you be using Kevin to do that? Would you bless him as he blesses us with the words that you've given him? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Laura, for leading us. Thank you for Ian for get, getting to the right passage there. That was great. Uh, and thank you very much to Harry and the worship team. We are, we are truly blessed uh, to have you leading our, our worship. Friends, uh, those of you who've been coming in recent weeks will know that we've looked at some astonishing prayers in our series on prayers in the Old Testament and New Testament. No more so, uh, if I might say this, than the Lord's Prayer that we looked at last week. Uh, But we come this afternoon to surely one of the mightiest, uh, one of the deepest, one of the most powerful prayers in the New Testament. And it's my immense privilege (laughs) to be able to preach on it. I feel totally inadequate uh, to squeeze the full benefit from it. Um, One of the very first evangelical uh, bishops, Bishop Handley Moole, Bishop of Durham, in the very earliest years of the 20th century, in a commentary on this uh, passage, said that this particular prayer of Paul is like looking through parted curtains into the holiest place of the Christian life. It's like looking through parted curtains into the holiest place of the Christian life. And I just want to commend to you your full concentration, really, during this next 15 and 20 minutes, that you might peer through the curtain into a place of great, great holiness. This is a prayer that moves people to tears. 
this is a prayer that invariably warms human hearts. This is a prayer that more or less inevitably gets us to our own knees. We do what Ian did earlier. We follow the Apostle Paul. We fall on our knees. It's soaring in its language. It is expansive in what Paul dares to ask of God. Um, and in a sense, my, my, my task as a preacher is relatively easy this afternoon. Because <laughs> uh, all I need to do is tell you what Paul prayed <laughs> and invite you to pray it as well. That's pretty much what I'm going to be doing this afternoon without a great deal of uh, embellishments. There might be some excitement and some emotion along the way, um, but very few stories. Let's go straight to the kernel of this so that we can pray it ourselves. I want to come to the content, and that's the burden of the message. But before I get to the content of Paul's prayer, can I just pick out a few pointers by way of introduction, which will help us to get into the main uh, content and substance of his prayer. The first is to say that this, that this is Paul's prayer for a church. Can we get a hold of that? That the you that's used consistently in this passage is a second person plural, not a second person singular. And it's a prayer for a church that Paul knows well. Uh, he ministered in Ephesus for two years and more, teaching and preaching and ministering and discipling uh, there. And this is Paul's prayer for the collective of God's people. Um, and maybe it's important to say that in a, in a Western culture that so supremely um, kind of accentuates the individual over the communal. So that when it comes to the New Testament, we find ourselves applying it invariably to individuals one-to-one -one, in a way that would have been a complete mystery to Paul. <laughs> Um, who speaks to churches and who sees God at work amongst the collective of his people. We can pray this prayer individually. <laughs> On prayer mate, I've got a little thing that comes up every day that puts all of this prayer into the first person singular. <laughs> and I pray it. We can pray it for ourselves. But first and foremost, this is a prayer for the collective of God's people. It's a prayer for the church. <laughs> And when we come to ministry, we're going to be praying for the church, for ourselves, but also for other churches. Oh, that the language of interchurch relationships had less to do with competition and less to do with criticism and more to do with prayer. Yeah? You're allowed to say amen. <laughs> that Telford Minster is known as a church that prays for other churches. Yes. Amen. That's the first thing to note. This is a prayer for a church. And the second thing to note is it, it, it's a prayer prayed with passionate longing. These are things that Paul longs for, for the church in Ephesus with all of his heart. And we get the measure of that, don't we, in verse 14 I kneel before the Father. Thank you for introducing that uh, to us, uh, Ian. As if he's falling to his feet in the fervency of his prayer for the Ephesians. Uh, 
And one of the great things I love about Paul's prayers, in whenever we, he gives a sight of what he prays for, and it's a great, it's, I, I commend it to you, go through Ephesians, and he interweaves teaching and theology with exhortation, with prayer and thanksgiving. It's as if he can't teach theology without it becoming doxology, without it actually erupting in praise and leading also to intercession and to prayer. But you'll find whenever we get a glimpse of Paul praying that he prays with his head and with his heart. He prays the truth, but he prays the truth passionately and he prays for it fervently. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. I long for these things with every ounce of energy in my body. What did he say in Romans chapter 10 for the people of Israel? My heart's desire and my prayer to God for the people of Israel is that they might be saved. Um, if you look back into Ephesians chapter 1, he says, uh, I, I go on praying for you. I'm always praying for you. There's a fervency and a passion and a determined longing in this prayer, as in so many other prayers of Paul. And then the third thing to note by way of introduction is this, that he prays with a clear understanding of the one to whom he prays. He's clear about who it is that he is praying to. And you know, our understanding of who God will, God is, will always profoundly influence what we pray for and the way in which we pray. Now, if you've got an infantile view of a father, kind of Father Christmas God, then you're going to pray infantile asking prayers. There's a direct correlation between our vision and understanding of God and the things that we will ask of him. And there are hints here, echoes, back to the Lord's Prayer that we looked at last week. Because Paul understands both the immensity of God... Uh, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So he understands the stature, the greatness, the immensity of God that straddles earth and heaven. But he also understands something of the imminence of God, the presence of God, after whom every family on earth is named. He knows the name of your family. He knows my family scattered across the world. And not just as that family, but he's actually named them. Um, which is why the prayers of Paul are never casual, because he understands the awesome immensity of God. But neither are they cowering or apologetic, because he knows the imminence and presence of God. And so who does he call God? Father, Father. Uh, pater, the same as Jesus prayed, um, our Father, is the same language that Paul has access to as he comes to uh, the Father. It's worth having a glance back at verse 12 where of this chapter, which says, in him, that's in Jesus, and through faith in Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Is there an amen to that? 
we can approach God with total freedom and total confidence. I don't know whether you're watching that rather tainted documentary called The Universe at the moment. Um, um, but what it does do is say to us there's something about the immensity of the created order and we can approach the author of all of that with freedom and confidence. <laughs> yeah. And you want a fourth introductory point. I'll tell you the introduction is nearly half the talk, so there we are. And the fourth is this, that Paul is, is confident not only in the one to whom he prays, but is confident also of God's capacity to answer his prayers. And you see, if we don't believe that God can answer big prayers, we'll never pray them, will we? We'll pray little tiddler prayers. But if we've got an understanding of God's capacity to answer big prayers, then we will pray them. And we'll dare to believe great things. So look at the language he's used already in, um, in Ephesians. In chapter 1 and verse 19, he speaks of God's incomparably great power for us who believe. You constantly get the thought, don't you, with Paul, that he's stretching the limits of human language. He wants new words, incomparably great power to us who believe. In chapter 2 and verse 7, he speaks of the incomparable riches of his grace. And he's going to conclude this prayer by saying, verse 20, that God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And so he prays, verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, out of his glorious riches, he will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul has grasped that God has at his disposal glorious and inexhaustible riches, the inexpressible riches of Christ the incomparably great power of the creator and redeemer of all things and that this God is unutterably generous. <laughs> Have we got it? So he can pray and we can pray knowing that God is fully able to answer the longings of our hearts. <laughs> yeah. So what does he pray? Um, and I want to leave time for us to pray uh, but what does he pray for the church in Ephesus? What does he pray with such passionate longing on his knees? What does he pray to the Lord and Father of all, um, from whom all the families of the earth are named? What does he pray to the one who has at his disposal glorious riches? Um, gosh, this is where you want an hour, isn't it? Do you want an hour? No, I don't think you do, do you? <laughs> but let me just give you a kind of shorthand. I think the first thing that he prays is that the church in Ephesus will live in the closest intimacy with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think that's the burden of his prayer, don't you? You've got the passage in front of you. He prays that the church in Ephesus will live in the closest intimacy with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And you know, for all our talk about mission and relevance, all the other stuff and busyness of the life of the church, and dare I say sometimes the silliness and the muddle of church life, maybe we do need reminding through this prayer that this is first and foremost what the church is called to down the ages. <laughs> to live in intimate relationship with God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Before all our doing, before all of our activity, before this, that and the other, the first call upon the life of the church is to be drawn into and to enjoy fellowship with the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, to live in closer, the closest fellowship with God, to be in the closest relationship with him. Is that what we want? Is that what we want? That this might be the fire that burns at the heart of our life together. That people look at Telford Minster and don't say, no disrespect, I love the worship, I love the preaching, but they say, there, I, there is a people that knows God. I think that's the highest accolade, isn't it? And because this is a place where a people fellowship with God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, because there's a God-shaped hole in every human life, people found themselves drawn. Because what higher privilege than to know God, Father, Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul expresses this intimacy in this passage in the most astonishing ways. And he layers the language again, one over the other, over the other. Firstly, verse 17, he prays astonishing words that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Church, I'm praying for you that you will know Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith. Yeah. In other words, his prayer for the Ephesian church is that they might live in relationship with Jesus, not just as someone out there or up there, but as someone in here. And elsewhere, he speaks of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Um, an old uh, chorus. Oh, come to my, complete it, some of the elder ones. Oh, come to my heart. Come to my heart, Lord Jesus, for there's room in my heart for thee. Paul wants a church in Ephesus collectively to be in such close relationship with Jesus who lives in their hearts. Do we want that? And then he expresses it slightly differently, this closeness, this intimacy in relation to the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. So verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. <laughs> Where is the spirit in the life of the church? Paul is saying, I want the spirit to be in the inner being <laughs> of the collective life of the church. So he speaks of Christ being in our hearts and he speaks of the Holy Spirit. Didn't Jesus say the Holy Spirit would be with us and in us? How much closer can we get to Jesus in our hearts 
and the Holy Spirit in our inner being. And then as if, as if he hasn't said it already, he says this in verse 19, that the church in Ephesus, he prays, might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What an astonishing prayer. He prays that the church might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Note that he doesn't say that the church might be filled with God. He says that the he prays that the church might be filled with God who is himself full. So we might know not just a bit of God, but we might know in our collective life together the very fullness of God himself. <laughs> yeah. How utterly, utterly astonishing. I don't know what this does to your heart. I don't know. What, what's it doing to your heart? What's the truth doing as it's proclaimed that we might be a people in whom Christ dwells, whose spirit is at work in our collective inner being, that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. And I just want to say, let's make it our prayer. That we might know Jesus Christ with such closeness and such intimacy that the Holy Spirit might invade our life and reside in the innermost places of our collective life. And that the God who is himself full might fill our lives. Yeah. That's Paul's first prayer. I think that's the heart of his prayer, actually, for the church in Ephesus. And pray, God, we can make that our prayer too. But secondly, he prays for the Ephesian church that it might know the scale and the profundity of the love of God. Verses 17 and 18. And I pray that you, being rooted and established, grounded in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge and remember this is Paul's prayer for the church in other words he wants the church to know how loved it is collectively as God's people and you know we can be church and we can gather around the lordship of Jesus and we can still have a paucity of understanding of just how much God loves us in fact, we almost certainly have <laughs> because his love surpasses knowledge. We're never going to fully grasp it. But I wonder if sometimes we live in the kind of spiritual undergrowth when we're called to grow up and live in the full light of the knowledge of how loved we are. That God loves his church with a searing and a passionate and an undiluted and incomprehensible, hardly makes sense, but a burning love. And here's another old hymn. 
that will not let us go. <laughs> yeah. That will not let us go. And Paul wants the church in Ephesus to be in no doubt about this. He wants them, verse 18, to grasp this. He wants them, verse, ni- verse 19, to know this love, even though it's so immense that it surpasses knowledge. Friends in Telford Minster. Um, and I don't know, is it, is it maybe a part of why we're not yet flying? That God is still nurturing us and feeding us, so to speak, in the nest? Is it at least in part that he wants us to be overwhelmed with a sense of the love of God? So that everything we do together (laughs) erupts from that potent, pregnant place. And that as we invite more and more people into us, we're not inviting them into some contemporary form of a new established kind of religion, but we're inviting them into a place of profound love. Where they're going to be loved individually and offered the root to know the love of God uh, for them. Oh, that we would know how loved we are. And Paul uses this wonderful language, doesn't he? Um, That says the love of God is wide and long and high and deep. It's like kind of north, south, east, west. That it's all encompassing the love of God. Uh, The whole of God is love and there's nothing and there's nowhere that's outside the reach of his love. And we might think of the width of God's love as being wide enough to embrace the whole of the world. That there's nothing outside the scope of his love. We might think of the length of the love of God stretching into an endless eternity. How astonishing that he picked up a young Cambridge student at the age of 19, struggling to find his feet in a fancy university, um, and brought people alongside me to tell me about Jesus. And what he said was, I'm not just going to give you a kind of a temporary salvation for this life, but as you come to me, as you invite me into your life, we're on an eternal journey. And I'm getting now towards the latter stages of life, if I can put it that way. And heaven is getting nearer, and I can't wait to get there. Okay? The length of the love of God. And I remember when I said to my father, actually, as he was dying, um, it's one of the great privileges of my life, because I told him he could go, and he went. And I just said to him, Dad, just go into all-consuming love. And he didn't breathe again. And yet he woke up (laughs) in the presence of Jesus who loves him. Might we think also of the height of um, the love of God as the heights of heaven and the depths of the love of God has been so deep that he can reach down even to a degraded sinner like me 
and draw me into the fire of his love. Oh, for a church today that knows this love that surpasses knowledge in its height and length and depth and breadth. Um, I'm going to miss it out, otherwise we won't finish. Um, so here's the third and final thing that I want to point out as, as Paul's prayer. But we can't really finish it without... He's praying that the church in Ephesus might live in the closest intimacy with God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He's praying that the church in Ephesus might know the scale and the profundity of the love of God. And his final prayer is that in all that they do and all that they are, that they give the glory to God. And you know, that has to be true for all churches. And I've known the temptation in, dare I say, 38 years of ordained ministry in different roles, some high profile, to draw attention to myself. That little little voice in your head that rather likes it when people say how good you are and how well you've done don't let me stop you um, okay. but you know that's not what it's about Paul is praying here that the church in Ephesus will live to God's glory we want people not to speak well of us do we care whether people speak well of Telford Minster what we want is that people speak well of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's got to be all about Jesus. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church. To who be glory in the church? To Jesus. To him be glory. And pray, God, that when people look at us, they look right through us and look right beyond us and they look to Jesus and they say, isn't he wonderful? And Paul has got this sort of long-term perspective as well. And why is the church today losing sight of its eschatology, of the Lord Jesus coming again and opening up to us a new heaven and a new earth. I'd love us to spend much more time uh, internationally as a church exploring that great theme. But he finishes like this, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. All he wants in the great eschaton of God is that Jesus might be first and foremost and that Jesus might take all the glory that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Don't you long for that day? And Revelation 5, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and, then it, and all that is in them will say, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, take all the glory. 
deflect all the glory from me. All the glory from us. Dear Jesus, now and into a long eternity, we ascribe to you all the glory, all the honour, all the worship and all the adoration that we can muster. Friends, what a prayer. Can we pray for our church? Can we pray for the church down the road? Can we pray for that little body of people who meet here on a Sunday morning? Can we pray for the worldwide church? That we may be God, a God-filled church, consumed by God's love and doing everything to his praise and to his glory. joining us we hope that it blessed you for more episodes and teachings you can subscribe to the podcast leave a review even share it on your socials and tag us at telford minster for this and more head to telfordminster.org.uk